good morning, Glenkirk. I am so thankful to be here with you this morning as we open up and study God's Word together. As many of you know, I have been out on parental leave for a while since having my son Caleb in early March. One of my biggest concerns in having my second child was how my first child was going to handle it. When I brought him home from the hospital, I was worried about how my daughter Kaylee was going to do with having a sibling. And I had heard horror stories of parents who brought the second child home and the first one was just very unhappy about this. And so I was prepared for that. But honestly, my daughter has been really just excited to have a brother. When he came home from the hospital, she ran around in circles and shouted, I happy, I happy. And so I was just very, very grateful that this went so well. However, um, a little unexpected problem has been her attitude towards our dog has actually drastically changed since having my son. Um, My dog is named Gizmo. If you've seen Gremlins, you know where that comes from. And lately, she has just been so annoyed with Gizmo. She shoves him off the couch. Everywhere that he sits in the house is all of a sudden Cakey's seat. And she's just shouts at him. She pushes him off of things. She says, get down, Gizmo. And then this new little habit that she has is my sweet two-year-old throws up her hands in the air and says, oh, come on, Gizmo. And this attitude like completely baffled me at first. I was unsure of where in the world this came from until one day, Until one day when I was feeling frustrated, carrying my son, holding the bottle, trying to find a seat on the couch, and my dog was right in the way and just would not move. And I said, get down, Gizmo. Until one day when he had an accident on the carpet, and I said, oh, come on, Gizmo. (laughs) Things that I honestly did not even realize I was doing were being seen by my two-year-old who is watching everything I do. She's learning how to treat our dog based on how I treat our dog, and I didn't even realize it. Of course, now I'm trying to go the opposite way and be overly loving to our dog and overly kind to him in hopes to change this behavior because I am an example to her whether I know it or not. And I hope and I pray that I can be a good one. So our passage today is all about what do people see when they watch us? What do they see? Do we point them to the hope that we have? Do we react in kindness, in patience, and in love? Because we are an example, whether we realize it or not. People are watching us. What do they see? So before we jump in, let's pray together. Lord, would you speak through me this morning? Lord, help us to hear from you. Open our minds and our hearts. We just want to be in your presence, Lord. Amen. So we are in this series called Forged in the Furnace on 1 Peter. 
And throughout this series, we have been learning that the difficult experiences that we go through in life are like a furnace that forges us into maturity. Peter knows this firsthand. In Luke 5, you can read the story of Peter first meeting Jesus. Jesus tells him to let down his nets as he is fishing, and Peter's response is that they haven't caught anything all night. But he says, but because you said so, I will let down the nets. So when they draw up the nets full of more fish than can even fit, Peter falls down on his knees and he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Peter is no picture of perfection. He goes back and forth between these strong instances of faith to obvious doubt and fear. This can be seen in his bravery as he steps out on the water, but then he sinks as soon as he looks away from Christ to the waves. He makes these most bold statements of faith and then turns around and denies Christ when things get tough. He is a relatable character. He has grown into maturity. And as he writes this letter, he is encouraging the readers to grow into maturity as well by fixing their eyes on their Savior in the midst of their trials and suffering. His growth in maturity is one that we can not only admire, but also aspire to as well. He is not someone we cannot relate to. He faced some of the same fears and doubts that we all face. But in the end, he stood in faith in the face of persecution. He was truly forged in the furnace. And I would pray that his example will encourage us as well. So we're going to read this passage before we look at it closer. So if you are able, would you please stand with me as we read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. It says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. To give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body 
but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went to make proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. You may be seated. So Peter has been talking about submission since chapter 2. And he talks about all different areas of life, governing authorities, slaves and masters, and wives and husbands. And last week, Pastor Tim taught on this first part of our chapter in which Peter addressed wives and husbands. During his sermon, he put this slide on the screen. Here it shows that when the values of God's kingdom and the values of Rome are so different Peter tries to find values that intersect across both. Submission, purity, gentleness, quiet, consideration, and respect. Pastor Tim said that these values are not gender-specific. In fact, all Christians are called to live by them. And that is exactly what we see in our passage today. Now Peter turns to all believers and says, finally, all of you. And here he encourages this same attitude of submission, of humility, compassion, love, and like-mindedness. Now, remember Peter, when Jesus bent down to wash his feet, he felt so uncomfortable with this. But he saw Jesus display this attitude of submission, of humility, and now he is encouraging that attitude to all believers. Submission is the posture of a believer. This attitude of submission is what John the Baptist says in John 3, verse 30. He must become greater. I must become less. Submission is the posture of a believer. You see, the point Peter is making over and over in this letter is this. If we focus on who we are under instead of who we are over, it will go well with us. If we focus on more how we can go low than on how we can elevate ourselves, that is the picture of how Christ lived. And Peter names five characteristics that bring blessing in life like-mindedness, sympathy, love, compassion, and humility. Edmund Clowney in his commentary on this book says, these are not virtues that are chosen at random. Like the fingers of the hand, they radiate from one center and they work together. The key to them all is the love of grace. They reflect the grace, love, and compassion of Jesus Christ. And all of these characteristics are modeled after Christ. Peter is calling them to exemplify Christ in the way that they act toward one another. 
That means they will be like-minded because they are submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ. They are lowly-minded, therefore they are like-minded. They are sympathetic towards one another because they have seen a Savior who mourns alongside those who mourn. They are humble because the servant king got down and washed dirty feet and then later took up his cross. They are able to love because Christ showed the ultimate example of love as he gave himself for those who would reject him. This is the example that Peter is calling them to follow. It is none other than the example of Jesus Christ. But not only does Peter encourage this attitude toward other believers, he actually goes on to say, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called. In this we hear echoes of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. This, I believe, is the key point of this passage because Peter is telling them to live such a countercultural life that it leaves people completely intrigued by the gospel. It leaves people speechless. It makes them wonder about this hope that you have. And we're going to come back to that in our passage. Peter moves on to talk about suffering and about persecution. Once again, I want you to remember the context into which Peter is writing. They most certainly will and have faced persecution. They will suffer. They will be mistreated. And they will be afraid. Peter wants them to first of all understand that suffering and persecution is not the opposite of blessing. It is living like Jesus did because he also suffered. We again look back to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verses 11 through 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Peter is preparing the church to not only endure the inevitable persecution that they were going to face, but to use it as an opportunity for witness. As I was preparing for this sermon, I listened to a sermon by Tim Keller on this passage, and it spoke so differently to me, knowing that he just so recently passed away after this long journey with cancer. This is what he said. The burden of this book that can be reenacted in us, the glory and distinctiveness of being a Christian, is that suffering leads to glory. The greatness and distinctiveness of the Christian life is not that we escape troubles, but that we have something within us that uses troubles to create great things in us. Christianity teaches that Christians have something that enables us to grow, not only despite our failure and our suffering, but because of it. 
Keller would go on to say that if we don't understand this ability, this ability to progress in our suffering and in our failure, then we can't understand the book of 1 Peter or this passage at all. Peter would go on to say, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. And at this point, they certainly had a reason to fear. Nero was about to persecute Christians in horrible ways. They were about to face some of the most horrific suffering and persecution, and yet Peter says, do not fear their threats. Here he girds them up for what they are about to face. And here is the antidote to fear, a fear that Peter knew quite well. Revere Christ as Lord. Set him apart as Lord. Honor him as holy. Let there be no room in your heart for anything or anyone else to take the place of Lord. How can you not fear in the midst of the most horrible persecution? Honor Christ as Lord. Don't let anyone or anything take his place. Set him apart. This is what Peter, who has been forged in the furnace, has realized was the antidote to fear. And here he encourages the believers to hold tight to it. It is also here that Peter says to be prepared to give an answer for the reason of your hope. Do you see the argument he is making? Do you follow his train of thought here? Live a life of submission towards one another in which you go low, in which you are humble and loving, following the example of Christ. Let your actions speak. Live a life so counterintuitive that it leaves others speechless, that it makes them intrigued, that they ask you about this hope that you have this hope that doesn't seem to make sense. Be prepared to give an answer to that hope. Because if you live this way, if your life is characterized by love, by humility, by compassion, people will ask. They will wonder. They won't understand. So be ready to tell them the reason for your hope. Christ is Lord. You see, submission may sound passive. It may sound like withdrawal, but it is so contrary to that. Submission is strength. Submission is a gentle response to an unkind remark. Submission is lowly-mindedness that shouts the gospel. Submission is taking up your cross it's bending to the basin. Submission is a way of shouting the gospel so loudly with your actions that people will ask. They will wonder. They will be speechless. And then we will not be passive. We will not be silent. We will be ready. We will be prepared to give an answer to this hope that we have. The antidote Peter is teaching to fear in the face of horrible persecution is an awareness of the glory of the Lord. The antidote to fear is praise. This is the words uttered by Peter at his meeting 
Christ in the first place. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. As we become aware of the holiness of Christ, as we revere him as Lord, we are filled with courage because we are fearful before the Lord instead of before mankind. What truly can they do to us? Edmund Clowney, again, he says, hope is not substituted for faith. Hope is faith as it looks to the future of the Lord's salvation. Hope is the form that faith takes under the threat of death. Now here in our passage, we have this rather confusing part about Noah, the flood, and these spirits in prison. And I'm not going to get too far into it today because it would just take too long to explain all the different thoughts on this part of the passage. But I will say what I feel like is the purpose of this section I believe that Peter is saying that Jesus was active even in the days of Noah. When Noah spoke boldly to his neighbors, it was the Holy Spirit's power that enabled him to do so. Therefore, it was the Spirit of Christ. That same Spirit is within the prophets of the Old Testament. And if you read 1 Peter as a whole, he's continually pointing to the continuity between the Old and the New Testament. So hear the point here. The same spirit, the spirit of Christ, is within us. The courage we get to share this hope that is in us is a courage that comes from the spirit of Christ who speaks on our behalf. We do not do it on our own. And like Noah, we may be in the minority in this world. The people of Peter's day certainly were. As they faced horrible persecution, Peter tells them, like Noah, you have the spirit of Christ within you, empowering you, empowering you to be humble, to turn the other cheek, to speak blessing instead of evil. And that same spirit will also empower you to explain the hope that you have when people inevitably ask you about it. My hope is in the glory of of the Lord. My hope is found in Christ. Now here is the beautiful picture that Peter uses to end this section. He says, let me read this verse one more time. This is the last verse. It says, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Peter closes out this section on submission, giving us a clearer picture of what's truly going on in the world. Peter knows that during this time, Christians are facing persecution. And so it may appear that they are being held in submission to hostile powers, but appearances are deceiving. While he has been painting this picture of submission in daily life, he closes his message on submission with a picture of reality, with a perspective on what is really going on in this world. He gives them a peek behind the curtain of sin and suffering in this world to what is really going on. And that peek behind the curtain shows them this. No matter what it seems, Christ, the resurrected Savior, is at the right hand of God and all angels, authorities, and powers are in submission to him. 
This is why he can say, what is, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Not because he actually believes that no one is going to harm them. It's quite the opposite. But because he sees this true picture, Christ is on the throne. Everything in this world is in submission to him. He is in control. Okay, so I want to conclude this passage, but before I do, I want to quickly walk through what Peter has been saying in it. So the Christians Peter was writing were about to face some of the most difficult persecution and suffering. Peter's been giving this explanation on a life lived in submission, in humility, where we think of others better than ourselves. Ephesians 5 verse 21 says, Submit to one another, out of reverence for Christ. And that is exactly what I think he's getting to here in our passage. This is mutual submission among believers because Christ lived a life of submission and of humility, taking up his cross. Peter calls believers then to repay the evil of persecution and suffering that they're going to face with blessing, to live so counterintuitively that they stand out that people will ask them the reason for the hope that they have. He is telling them to let their lives shout the gospel even louder than their words. He tells them that the antidote to fear is an awareness of the holiness of Christ. And finally, he reminds them what all that Christ did to bring them to God and that his spirit lives within them, giving them courage. And he closes out this section on submission, letting them know that while they face persecution and hard times, a peek behind the curtain shows them that Christ is on the throne. Everything is actually in submission to him. So to close out and apply this passage, I have three P words for you to take away from this section of 1 Peter, and I just hope that helps you remember them. So here they are. First, have the right posture. The posture that Peter has been encouraging is one of submission and of humility. This is the posture of Christ. It is the posture then of a believer. This is a picture of lowliness, of considering others' needs above our own. It is, he must become greater and I must become less. This helps build the community of believers into like-minded, loving, compassionate people who exemplify Christ. This posture allows us to repay evil with blessing, to turn the other cheek, to hand over our coat as well, because we must become less so that he can be seen greater. It is this posture of submission that makes others ask us, about this hope that we have because we live differently, that it leaves others speechless. And so, secondly, be prepared. If we live this way, we will be asked to give an answer for this hope, and we can answer, Christ is Lord. I have to pause and give a little shout out to our women's summer study that's going on right now. 
It's funny because I chose this study before I even went out on parental leave in March and had no clue of how well it was going to connect with our sermon series at the time, but it definitely did. Our theme is faith and fire, which just fits so well with forged in the furnace. This study on Elijah that we have been doing is focused on faith and how we produce it in our lives. Priscilla Shire points out that we are willing to practice and give effort to other things in our life. And so perhaps we want to run a race. We would practice, we'd train, we'd run, we'd work hard just so that we could run this race and be ready for it. And yet sometimes I think that we think faith should just come naturally to us. We think that some people are just really gifted with strong faith and that maybe just isn't us. But that is not the case. People like Elijah and people like Peter were forged in the furnace of maturity to become as strong in their faith as they are. In the case of Peter, we have so many stories in his life of his faith struggling and growing throughout his life. And while I do believe that faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit, I also believe that we should strengthen our faith through spiritual disciplines. We strengthen our faith by being in the word. We strengthen it by, through the power of prayer. We strengthen it by being in church, by studying together, by wrestling with God's word together, and then by holding one another accountable. So be prepared to give an answer. You cannot be over-prepared, but you certainly can be under-prepared. Read the word, be in it daily, know where your hope in this life lies. Be be prepared because if we live our lives as Jesus did, people will ask. They will wonder, will you have an answer? And finally, have the right perspective. Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. As we live this life of submission to Christ and as we face suffering that might not make sense to us, see the perspective of heaven. All is in submission to Christ. He is at the right hand of God. This is the hope that we have This is not the end of the story. Who can really harm us? This does not minimize, however, the pain of suffering in this world, but it sees the truth that God will use it to refine us, to forge us in the furnace, and to make us more like him. In the end, we know who is on the throne. So have the right posture of humility Be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have even when it doesn't make sense and have the right perspective. Revere Christ as Lord because to this you were called. Let's pray. Lord, would you open our eyes to see the truth that you are on the throne no matter what we face. Enable us to live these lives that reflect you and prepare us to give an answer for our hope. Lord, our hope is found in you. Amen.